Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and look over the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and we'll read through verse 7 of chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter, yeah, you turn chapter 4 and we'll read one verse back. That might be even easier, right? Won't confuse you so much. Then again, if that confuses you, I can't wait to see how confused you'll be when you're done with this message. No, I'm teasing, man. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We'll read that final verse of chapter 3, right on through verse 7 of chapter 4. Now, excuse me, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the heathen in remembrance of these... Oh, excuse me. It might be brethren. Sometimes we feel like it's heathen, right? If thou put the brethren in remembrance... That didn't turn out good. Yeah, that was rough. Okay, all right. Uh, You've never made a mistake. Thank you. So anyway, moving on. (laughs) If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained... But refuse profane and old wise fables, and ex- exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Again, uh, we've been dealing with this book of Timothy for some time, and kind of off and on for some time, I should say. But this past uh, couple of weeks, we, of course, noted the last, cha- last verse of chapter 3, and we, we noted there were some essential elements of the faith uh, which the church is the custodian of. And we, we noted that the deity of Christ is very important and that uh, the, the, the deity of the Holy Spirit even, that He is God and, and His power, power is a, a godly power. And, and just so many things there in that passage, you know, that are, are, are clearly defined for us and that we are custodial, uh, you know, in custodians of and that we're to care for. And then he moves right on into chapter 4, verse 1, and he begins to share, as we noted, uh, the, this aspect of apostasy announced. So chapter 3, verse 16, kind of lays a foundation, says, okay, here's what the church is responsible for in summary. And uh, uh, it, it appears that Paul is making this clear because obviously apostasy has already begun to raise its ugly head and will ultimately come to full fruition as we move into the latter days and uh, to the return of Jesus Christ. And so 
Now he says, okay, now I'm going to announce this apostasy, make it very clear. And he says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so he's, he's announcing it. He's making it clear. Okay, here's what the church is responsible to do, They're, to, to be custodians of this truth and of this doctrine. And you need to be very careful with it because there are going to be apostates that step into the limelight, try to deceive and try to ultimately destroy the people of God and the house of God, the church of God. And so here it is. The Spirit says, guess what, guys? Uh, there's going to be a departure from the faith. There's going to be those that give uh, heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I'm just letting you know up front. And then he goes on through verses 2 through 5 to kind of analyze it and to be, break it down a little bit and get more specific about what he means by this departure from the faith. And he says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. And so he goes on to explain these four aspects. And he says, listen, there's going to be a, a departure, yes. This end time apostasy, it's going to be spread by people that are, are lacking character. These people are going to be guilty of speaking lies and hypocrisy. What he's saying is basically they're going to be liars. They're going to be bold-faced liars. And these liars and deceivers are not going to be the victims of delusion. They're going to deliberately go against known truth and their own consciences. And so Paul then begins to express this idea that, that, that this spread of this apostasy is going to be the result of men and women and others who have allowed their conscience to be seared and we said that the searing process is most effective when it's uh, just short doses of, of heat. You know, just that we talked about that on off, tss, 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 you know, type thing. So you don't destroy the good flesh. You only sear or put that covering over the, the bad flesh and you stop the bleeding and you clean out the wound. But it, it cauterizes, if you will. And then we talked about that and how that takes place and how you do that. Well, we said that the spiritual application of cauterization of the heart is the fact that we are influenced by apostasy. We allow apostasy to influence us. We, we do that, and if we're not careful, we permit it to do that. And then we're infected by apostasy. Once we're influenced, we're then infected. Uh, and, and then once we're infected, ultimately we're injured, and it, it, it truly hurts and harms us and others around us. So Paul then goes on and he, he notes a couple of other of these demon-inspired attacks and apostasies. And he says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. That's another aspect of this apostasy. And we, noticed that, we note that a, a number of false religions, to include the Gnostics of that day, they taught people to deny themselves the normal and natural pleasure of food and physical contact in order to obtain the highest level of holiness. said so you can't possibly reach that highest level without abstaining from these particular things marriage and and that physical relationship between husband and wife and that commandant that 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 the meats and so forth you have to abstain from those things <clears throat> on the other hand we have different groups or or other pagan religions who practice and promote gluttony and immorality as part of their their worship even so you have on one end you've got these that are saying you can't have any of this stuff because it's going to hurt and harm your ability to be closest to your God. And then there's others that say, oh, just indulge yourself and, 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 and enjoy yourself and, and, and do these things because they're part of the worship process. Well, the Christian faith kind of lands in the middle because the Christian faith is one of balance, and it always is. 
And the Bible says in Philippians 4, 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The fact is, is that, you know, we believe biblically and scripturally, there's no doubt that God created men and women to, to be married. That he, they're allowed to be married to fulfill those natural desires that he placed in our hearts. It's a good thing if that's indeed what God, what, what God would have for you. Obviously, if he intends for you to be single, you'll have the grace to do so. And God will bless you in spite of that because you don't have to be married to be blessed. You're blessed already because of Christ. And so we, we, are, we understand that already. But the fact is, is, that, is that you know now we have the Christian faith who is really balanced. We're really balanced in this thing, whether it's marriage or whether it's food. Now, we're not supposed to be gluttonous. <coughs> but anyway, we, we, move, we move on quickly from that point. But, but, but we are to be very careful and to be balanced in our Christian life. So the, 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 we, we noted the apostasy announced and then we move to the apostasy analyzed and tonight we want to consider or continue with the apostasy anticipated and so we're going to look at this apostasy now we're going to note verses six and seven this evening in just the short time that we have left and so it says in verse six and seven if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things thou shalt be a good minister of jesus christ nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather into godliness. And so we're going to consider this apostasy and note that it was anticipated. And, and, and you have to be prepared for it. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll continue with it. Father, we love you. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us as we consider apostasy anticipated. Lord, may you just work in our lives and may you help us to, Father, recognize that what was going on in the early church back in Paul's day, Timothy's day, is definitely taking place today and maybe, Father, would certainly appear to be in full swing already. But, Lord, we just ask, dear God, that you'd just meet our needs and, Father, teach us and show us what you'd have us to have. Help us to glean from your word and grow by it. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, notice Paul charged Timothy. He charged him. In the passage, Timothy is charged to remind the Christians in Ephesus of the anticipated apostasy. And what we're saying is, is that Paul was letting him know it's going to happen. Apostasy is going to come. And so he was confident, Paul was, that there was no doubt there would be those that would sow seeds of apostasy. And even more alarming to the apostle Paul was the fact that there, was all, there were already wolves among the sheep. There, it already started, even in his day. If you would, look over in 1 Timothy 1, verse 19 and 20. Again, we've noted these men before, but... Just as a reminder again, they had already had a run-in with Paul. They'd already been dealt with by Paul. And so he's letting them, uh, Timothy know, guess what? It's on. You better be prepared and you better be ready because this apostasy is coming. As a matter of fact, I'm really concerned because it's already started. And notice what he says here in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1. Holding faith in a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may, not, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So we have this, this Hymenaeus and Alexander who obviously has already been propagating and promoting uh, false doctrine or apostasy. And these were very notable men in the Word of God. So notable were they in their day that he is, they're mentioned in the Scriptures to be remembered forever and to be examples unto each and every one of us. Now, again, being concerned for the well-being of the church, Paul has already begun to warn the Ephesian elders what to expect. 
He's preparing them. He's readying them. And we see that over in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 30, when he says, Also of your own selves shall men arise. Paul speaking, of course, to the Ephesian elders, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So he's trying to warn them in chapter 20 of Acts. He's saying to the Ephesian elders, he's saying, Listen now, I just want you to know, uh, you know, among yourselves, from among yourselves there's going to be men arise and they're going to speak perverse things. Not true things, but perverse things, sinful things, wicked things, to draw away disciples after them. So it's not going to be people that are trying to really point folks to Jesus Christ. They're going to be men that are going to actually speak perverse things, and they're going to seek to draw men unto themselves. Because that's what an apost- uh, a, a, a apostate does. The apostate wants the glory. The apostate wants the recognition. The apostate wants to be elevated in the eyes of mankind, and he wants people to follow him or she wants people to follow her instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it will appear immediately on the onset to be something that's very good, and it'll seem like it's really solid. And, and boy, I'll tell you what, it, it's difficult to distinguish at times what the truth and what the error is in the midst of all the truth. Because like they say, the best way to hide a lie is in the, is in the midst of truth. So they're going to put a lot of truth in there and just a little, little lie And eventually, once they get you hooked, then they'll reel you in. And before you know it, you're messed up. And so Paul says, listen, I want you to to anticipate the coming of apostasy. I want you to be ready for it, Timothy. And so, again, Paul's concerns, as we mentioned in our our, uh, uh, introduction quite some time ago, his, his greatest concern was for the danger... Uh, the inward danger. It wasn't the outside or the threat of paganism from the outside that bothered him as much as it was the injection of uh, apostasy and the lies and deceitfulness of men that could wreck and ruin the church more than anything else. So the Apostle Paul was very concerned about it. It's interesting that he does not speak much of Nero and the persecutions of the Christians. He doesn't speak a lot about that. It's kind of strange if you ask me because, I mean, let's face it, Nero was barbaric in his nature and he, was, he, he sought them out and, 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 and the, the Roman Empire sought out uh, uh, the Christians. And, I mean, they, 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 they put them in the Colosseum as Mr. Jurgen and Mrs. Jurgen visited the Colosseum these last few weeks and had a chance to see it with their own eyes and, 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 and saw the places where those, those lions were, were caged and where the Christians had to literally... <clears throat> take them on in the Colosseum floors. And, man, I mean to tell you, to think about the, the horrors of being a Christian and being persecuted and martyred for your faith, and yet the Apostle Paul does not address that issue virtually at all in his writings. Why? Because he's not concerned about pagan, paganism. He's not concerned about the, the culture around the church. He's most concerned about the inside, the heartbeat of the church, the men and women that know Christ and them being influenced from apostasy within. How dangerous is it? Because it's so close to home. Because it's people you trust. And as a result of that, you can easily be deceived. And that's exactly what he's trying to do. He doesn't want these elders to be deceived. He doesn't want Timothy to be deceived. He doesn't want the people to be deceived. And so he's saying, listen, I'm telling you, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. 
He says, you've got to remind them that apostasy is coming. You've got to tell them that there's no doubt it's on the horizon if it's not already eating at the door. Now, one of Paul's greatest challenges and yet greatest triumphs was planting the church in Ephesus. And again, he planted a number of churches. He was used in a mighty way. But Ephesus was one of Satan's strongholds. It was one of Satan's capital cities, if you will. As a result of that, there was a number of real demonic, there was a number of things going on that were very demonic in nature. For instance, look if you will in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 18 through 20. Magic and spells and wizardry. I mean, these kind of things flourished in Ephesus. They were normal in Ephesus. They were part of the culture and the society in the day in which Paul and Timothy lived. Notice Acts 19, 18 through 20. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Now it's talking about the Ephesians. Now watch this now. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the work, the word of God, and prevailed. Now, again, notice what's going on here. There are men and women that are coming to Jesus Christ out of paganism. Now, listen, you know, we live in a day where we have salvation without repentance. I don't know if that's really working, folks. I'm not convinced that it's scriptural. And what I see here is that we have a people in the Bible who when they came to Jesus Christ, they took the curious arts and they took those books and some of those things that they had been investing in and involved in and they said, listen, we want nothing to do with our past life. We are new creatures in Christ, gone with the old, in with the new, and began to walk afresh and anew for Christ. Now again, we're not saying they were perfect. We're not saying that they overcame every sin in their life. But there were some... I mean, staples in their life. There were some real foundational lies that they said, these cannot coexist with my Christian life any longer. And, you know, they gave up some things. They're curious arts. And in this case, the, 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 the city of Ephesus was a stronghold for Satan, demonic activity and sinfulness. And as a result, we see that Paul the Apostle goes in and with the power of the Holy Ghost and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is able to make an inroad and ultimately plant a church there. Now, Ephesians spells. We're going to see that in Ephesus they had these spells and they had these charms that had spells and they had scraps of parchment that they they, uh, carried about or wore as safeguards against all manners of evil. So they, but they would cast spells on these parchments and cast spells on these, these charms and they would carry them with them in superstitiously, if you will. We would say super, superstition. But in reality, they believed that there was some kind of power there now because, and there was, there was demonic power involved and they'd carry them with them because they kept them safe. I mean, they were steeped in, in demonic activity. This was one of Satan's great seats, one of his great cities. And yet, again, God, giving great power to the Apostle Paul, enabled him, through the preaching of the gospel, to see many, many saved. 
And so ultimately they take these books and the greatest of these you know, spells were placed in books and they would bind them, so to speak, and they would sell them for great prices. Well, that's, those are the books that we see them turning in here. Back here, the Curious Arts brought their books together. These are the books with these spells, these incantations. And they took these books and they, 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 they got rid of them. They burned them. They didn't sell them, although they were worth a great price. I'm about sick of people who claim to come to Christ and then they want to get rid of stuff and then they turn around and give their satanic music. They give those things they used for the, for the, for the God of this world and instead of burning it and getting rid of it, they give it away or sell it to somebody else to use. That makes no sense to me. Why would you perpetuate evil after you've come to Christ and they're supposed to be embracing good? Makes no sense. Why would we take, I have this collection of horrible magazines, and instead of just burning them, I sold them because I can't look at them anymore. I'm saved now. Well, good for you. Aren't you happy you just corrupted some other man and wrecked his marriage and ruined his life? Good for you. I'm glad you're a little bit more happy now that you have some 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, $10,000 in your pocket. Good for you. You pass that demonically influenced trash back to somebody else to be wrecked and ruined by. Well, I put a lot of money in that, and, and I worked real hard for that. Yeah, and I'm glad you paid for your salvation too, so you deserve to sell that and get something back. I mean, I'm not trying. I'm, I'm really not upset with anybody in particular. So don't go the, well, I wonder who did that. I don't know of anybody that did that. I'm just saying, let's not do that. And if you, listen, if you lead somebody to Christ and they say, what should I do with, I, I had a guy one time, I led him to the Lord and he invited me in his house and he said, hey preacher, he said, uh, what do I do with all these? And they were, they were mirrors with all these really clad women all over them. He said, what about these? What do I do with them? I looked at him and I said, give them to me. I'll put them on my wall. No, I, I, and he, he kind of went, he, he looked at me funny and I said, no, I'm joking. I said, you need to destroy those. You've got to get rid of that trash. That's, that's, that's demonic right there. There's nothing good about that. Get rid of it. He said, man, I've got a lot of money in those. I said, well, it's up to you. You can go ahead and sell them and corrupt somebody else's life wreck their life just like yours has been wrecked before Jesus Christ, or you can go ahead and get rid of them like you ought to according to scriptures. Amen. You know what he did? We went outside. He said, can you help me carry those outside? I said, now I know you're not supposed to touch the unclean thing, but I knew what he was going to do with them. So I carried them all outside. We got them out there, and he lined them all up, and he took this, this axe, and he said, whoosh, whoosh. he started smashing these mirrors. He didn't even blink an eye, buddy. The only thing I did was back up because I saw shards of glass flying everywhere. But, uh, man, I mean, he just tore them up. Now, listen, that's how we ought to handle that past in our sin. Whether it's a physical item or whether it's a, 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 a stronghold in our life, we need to destroy it. We need to get rid of it and go forward. And that's what was taking place in Ephesus. And these people were bound. And yet we find them being delivered and them taking steps. I will, I will get rid of these books, these curious arts, when God delivers me from them. I don't read that. 
when God delivers me from this, then I'll get rid of it in my life. What do you mean? You've been delivered already. Now you need to reckon it to be so. Live like it. And that's what's going on in Ephesus. That's why I, I, I make the statement that one of his greatest challenges and yet greatest triumphs was planting the church in Ephesus because there were some major strongholds here. And yet there were great victories here as well. Tremendous victories. So the people at Ephesus, man, they were fervent in their worship. They were fervent in their practice of serving uh, the, the image of Diana even. Look in Acts chapter 19. You know, we live in a generation that we, and honestly, if we were honest with each other and we really told the truth, we, we might be tempted to tell one another things like this. You know, I'm just convinced that we live in such a wicked generation. It's just a lot harder today to see people saved and, and, and delivered from sin than it was years ago. You know, it's, it's really tough now. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. You wouldn't want to live back then, then. I'm going to tell you something. We're dealing with real demonic activity here. Uh, we're, we're talking about people steeped in superstition and people steeped in spiritualism and people that are bound by Satan himself. Uh, we're talking about people that are much more bound probably than we face every day of our life. But we like the, those excuses really take a load off our conscience, though. They make us feel a lot better about not witnessing to somebody because they're, they're probably they couldn't get saved anyway. And, you know, let's face it, if they don't, who cares? Pray for them. I gave them a shot. They didn't take it. That's on them. I mean, let's face it. If we, I mean, am I the only one that's thought like that before? I mean, I've got to admit, I've had thought like stupid thoughts like that before. I'm human. But then every time I go back to the Bible, God goes, you're stupid. Are you kidding me? You mean to tell me you're the first generation to deal with difficult spiritual times? Look at what's going on here in Acts chapter 19, verse 23. And the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. Now, when he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know by this craft we have our wealth. What he's saying is we make a living making this, this, these idols of Diana. And I'm calling together, you know, the, the silversmiths union because I want you to understand they're trying to put us out of business, that Paul is, and those Christians are trying to put us out of business. We make a living doing this. We're a matter of fact, we're getting wealthy doing this. This is our goddess. Notice he goes on to say, Verse 26, moreover, you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, it's not just here, fellas, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. They're peddling this lie and this deceit that Diana's no god at all. And they're not just doing it here in Ephesus. They're doing it all throughout Asia. So, verse 27 that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. I love how we bring religion into everything. He could have cared less about Diana, really, as a religion. I would almost bet if I could nail this guy down, he probably didn't even go to the temple. He was so busy trying to make his money. But he made money off the temple, and he made money off the goddess Diana. It sounds so noble when we throw God into it. 
well, I'm just working overtime, missing church so that I can tithe more. Support the local church. Well, la di da. Aren't you spiritual? Good for you. Now, keep giving, but let me tell you, you're wrong, but keep giving. It's better to obey than to what? Thank you. Glad I really heard that one in full force. So moving on, but yeah, this is when it gets ugly when preachers meddle, right? I know, but but here, the, the fact is, is that we see here that he goes on to say now, he says that Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Okay, whatever. First, the whole world worshipeth, right? Come on now, right? Moving on. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Wow, I mean to tell you, he got an uproar going. They're ready to stomp out Christianity. Get rid of Paul, get rid of Timothy, get rid of all these guys. Man, they call in a couple of the followers or those that traveled with Paul actually brought them in the midst. And man, I mean to tell you, they were ready to snuff them out because they were going to miss out. This is how steep these people were in their, their darkness. I mean, it was a decadent. It was a decaying culture. And the church at Ephesus stood as a beacon of light and a breath of fresh air in that culture. But, I mean, it, it was such a contrast, mind you. So different. I understand we have idolatry in America. I know that. We have it in Christianity, unfortunately. But, but when's the last time you saw somebody bow down to an idol? I mean, literally bow down and worship it. I'm not talking about, listen, and, and let's not get in a big debate about Mary and all that stuff. But listen, the last time I checked, if I talked to a Catholic, no Catholics told me I worship Mary in that sense. They say I pray to her to get to Jesus. I'm just saying, okay, so before we put words in people's mouths, we need to be careful that we don't isolate them already because we've already said what they believe and we don't even know what they believe. But the fact is, is this, I have yet to knock on a door and find somebody in their backyard, side yard, or in their living room, bowed down at an idol, worshiping and praying to an idol. Literal, physical idol. You say, I, I, I see it every day when I walk in, I see him watching television. And you do too then. I mean, who are we kidding? But it's not this bad, even in America yet. It is not this bad yet. And I want to encourage you to say the apostasy is coming and it's already abounding, just like it was in his day. But here's the thing. They were able to overcome it. You know how they overcame it? Can I tell you it wasn't just by the Word of God? It was by the Spirit of God. And that's what we need. And you know where the Spirit of God comes from and how He, he really works? And, and this is why we're struggling in our culture and in, in, in the church today. Because the reality is this. The Spirit of God only operates and functions in the midst of purity. Do you know, it doesn't matter how much Bible we know. If we're not pure in our hearts, then we don't have Holy Spirit power. Now listen, that's a tough one because we live in a decadent culture too. But wait a second. Not as, as demonic even as it was in Ephesus. Not as difficult as it would have been in Ephesus I, I get every generation thinks they had the toughest time growing up. Every, I'm sure, you know, 
And then, you know what, we feed that as adults. Well, I'm sure glad I didn't grow up in this generation. We, we faced our, our challenges, but nothing like this. I wouldn't even want to bring kids into this world today. I would if I was young. Amen. I'd be glad to bring kids yes, into the world today. I want to have a family, and I want to enjoy the children, and I, I want to raise some kids for the Lord too. I'm not in the least bit concerned about the culture when it comes to that because, listen, I'm tasked to raise my children, not the culture. That's right. Well, it's such a dangerous place to raise kids. And it wasn't in the early church? It wasn't in Ephesus? It, it, it wasn't in Italy where, where Catholicism reigns and if you make a profession of faith for, for Christianity, you are excommunicated from your family and separated and distanced by your own home? You were reckoned as dead by your own family? Oh, you mean it wasn't, it wasn't tough in those days? I'm just saying, who cares what the culture is, man? We are, we're overcomers already. We're already more than conquerors. And we bring our children. We, I, I, it, you know what? We can do it. With God as our captain, the Spirit of God as our power, purity first and foremost in our lives, God will use us to make an impact and to cut through the demonic activity in our culture and to enable us to reach the nation and ultimately the world around us. There is not one person that can't be saved as long as they have breath in their body. And I just want to encourage us, and I'm going to close this out right now, and I, I, don't, I didn't even get to the first point and finish. But I'm going to tell you, man, I, I am convinced that God is looking for a people and a church that will say, you know what, it doesn't matter how dark this day is. It doesn't matter how decadent the culture is. It doesn't matter how decayed and how destroyed and wrecked and ruined every home is in America. There's still a God in heaven that's bigger than any one of the obstacles we face. And His Spirit is able to overcome. And we can have victory. But we've got to pay the price of purity. And God help us to be sensitive to sin in our life. And, and allow Him to begin to reveal those things to us. And, and sin isn't just things we do. Sin is the attitudes we embrace. We have to be careful that our attitudes and our actions align themselves with Scripture. And that we are in a place where we simply ask for the Holy Spirit and He says, Hey, empty vessel. I can fill it. And you know He will fill it if we ask. But we can't have it filled with flesh and ask Him to fill it because it's already full. So we have to empty ourselves of sin and self and then say, Lord, fill me. And He says, I'm coming with great power. And if you'll obey me and talk to people and encourage folks and live the Christian life, I will do a miracle in lives. Not everyone will trust me, but it won't be because I'm not working in their life. Man, if we got him working on it, you know. Preacher, will you go visit my family member? Because, I I mean, you you know, man, I trust you as a soul winner. Uh, Think about how much better it would be to have the Holy Spirit speaking to him. And that's who we want doing the work. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the time we've had together. Just a good-